0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Uh, It's great to be here with you today. For those who may not know me, my name's Ben, and I'm the youth pastor at our Mackenzie campus. And uh, it's my pleasure to be out here with you guys at Logan this morning. I just want to say it was great being here uh, together in worship and listening to you all sing. There is some real passion and joy and vibrancy here that was uh, good for my soul. So thanks for for bringing that uh, energy with you this morning. But hey, I want to start this morning uh, with a question. If I was to ask you, and don't feel like you have to uh, answer this out loud, think about it in your head. If I was to ask you, where do you go when you need some wisdom, or who do you talk to when you need some wisdom, what would you say? Who would be the people? What would be the source? See, back in the day, my early 20s, uh, my friends and I, we were living out a home together, and uh, we tried to create an experience that would uh, give us the wisdom that we needed to navigate life. Now, that may sound like an oxymoron having 20-year-old men giving each other wisdom, I understand that, but we did try and create this environment uh, where we could uh, talk together and navigate life as best we could. And so what we did was we created what we called garage sessions, which basically would be this. One of the boys in the house that we were living with would message the group and say, Hey, boys, I'd love to have a garage session. What that would mean is that they had a problem or a question or a topic that they wanted to discuss. And us boys would agree to a garage session. Basically, you could say, I need a garage session. And it was kind of like, we're going to drop everything. I may have a work meeting, but sorry, guys, it's canceled. I have a garage session I have to go to. And so we would get into the garage, move the cars out, get all our old funky couch chairs into the garage, maybe invite a couple of ring-in friends in, maybe people we thought would be experts uh, on the topic. And we would gather together. And discuss whatever the topic was, whatever the problem was, or whatever the question was. Now we covered everything from like the difference between envy and jealousy, which was quite uh, an insightful conversation. To which gospel we'd recommend uh, to a new Christian to read. And even which sport God prefers. And we discovered it's AFL. It's just, that's that's where it ended up with. We spent hours discussing it. But basically, we would. We would spend hours Discussing these topics until we came to an adequate conclusion. Now, I can tell you these conversations may not have been the smartest conversations. I know it's surprising we didn't figure out world peace or the refugee crisis when you have a room full of 20 year old men together, but it was a place where we did find wisdom in our time of need. And partly because we were in an environment where we knew that this was a room full of guys who loved Jesus. Who loved each other and wanted the best for one another, who were willing to give the time and effort and energy and any wisdom that they had to try and help each other navigate life as best as they possibly could. See, for me in my early 20s, that is where I would go when I needed some wisdom. So if I asked you again this morning, where would you go or who would you talk to, what would be your answer? Because trying to navigate life is complicated. I don't know if anyone else has found it really easy trying to navigate life, but it's not. It's actually quite a complex thing to do. You have financial decisions to make, relational decisions to make, and we try and get help and wisdom uh, from those around us. See, I remember at the start of uh, the COVID pandemic, getting an email from the Commonwealth Bank advising me that house prices over the next 18 months in Brisbane would drop about 30%. Now, I don't know if you guys are aware of where the house market is right now, but it didn't do that. It did probably the exact opposite plus some. So I don't know if you've noticed, but I would have thought that maybe the Commonwealth Bank would have given me some adequate wisdom for navigating the house crisis, but apparently there wasn't much wisdom in that email at all. I mean, even relationally, I remember being in my teen years and having a friend tell me that if I wanted this girl that I was into to fall in love with me, the best way to do that was to be indifferent towards her. It would drive her insane, right? Why isn't he interested in me? I must have him. Surprisingly, she thought I didn't like her and found someone else instead, you know, like... He wasn't much help at all. There was no wisdom in that guy. And there was a lot of people offering wisdom, and there still are a lot of people promising you wisdom for your relationships, for your finances, for your career. Now, hear me clearly. There are a lot of people out there with a lot of wisdom to share. But my question is, what is your foundational wisdom? wisdom source? Where is it that you go when you went in a pinch? Where is it that you go when you're trying to find real wisdom for your relationships, for your spiritual needs, or when you're trying to find an overarching framework for how you want to treat and deal with your money? Where do you go? See, today I want to actually take us to a psalm, Psalm 1. And uh, with Psalm 1, it's kind of a little bit interesting to consider that uh, we would go to the Psalms as a source of wisdom because often we think of them as, as songs or maybe a Psalm of lament. Many of us may know that there's Psalms of lament, which are the sad, sorrowful ones, or Psalms of thanksgiving, which give praise to God for all that He's done, or Psalms of praise, which is somehow different to thanksgiving because it's a focus on God's character. But I discovered as I was looking into this Psalm that there are also Psalms of wisdom. And Psalm 1 is considered a wisdom psalm. And so these psalms are basically trying to give general wise counsel about leading a godly life. So we ask ourselves the question, where do we get our wisdom from? We can actually understand why we would look at a wisdom psalm, and in particular this morning, Psalm 1. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd love for you to open them up with me to Psalm one. We're going to read through it all this morning, uh, but we're going to go through it a little bit by bit. It will be on the screen behind me, but love having us read the word together. So Psalm 1 goes like this, and I'm just going to read the first four words, and we're going to have a stop and a pause there. It says this, it says, blessed is the one. Now the reason I just want to stop here for a moment is because I want to hone in on the idea of the phrase, blessed is the one. in particular, the word blessed. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but in the Western world, particularly in the 21st century, we have a very particular idea of what blessed looks like. If you type the word blessed into Google and you go to image searches, chances are you're most likely going to find someone with a big house maybe with a tennis court and a pool and a movie theater. Maybe it's going to be a really nice car. Chances are it's going to be someone looking quite muscular and tattooed with someone very attractive on their arm as well. And they're probably going to have a wad of cash just floating in front of them. You know, that's, that's kind of the idea we think of in the modern Western world when we use the word blessed. It's physical, financial abundance. But this psalm is not written by a 21st century individual. It's written by someone from ancient um, uh, Israel, Israel, and their understanding of the word blessed is a little bit different to our understanding of it today. See, for them, when they use this word blessed, they understand this word to be this this sense of happiness, but even that doesn't quite adequately describe it for us. See, their idea is is almost this sense of to have great well-being and a sense of inner rightness within oneself. So to unpack it further, it's kind of this experience of living a life that is right with God, that is right with others, that is right with themselves, and right with their circumstances. Now note that it's not that the circumstances of life are to their liking, but they've learned to be content and comfortable in them. You know, they have comfort in suffering, hope in affliction, peace in trouble, wisdom in uncertainty. They ultimately live from this deep knowing that God loves them. And is with them, and that means that whatever they find themselves in, they feel an inner sense of quiet assurance. Now, a person in this culture at this time would be considered a person of wisdom, because they have a wise uh, way of navigating their relationship with God, with others, with themselves, and with their circumstances. That is what it means to be blessed, to be someone who is so deeply right with themselves that they walk with a quiet assurance in all areas of their life. Now, I don't know about you, but that actually sounds like something I would deeply like to have in my life as I navigate the complexity of living. But that is the blessed person. And the psalmist isn't writing this to give us a picture of someone or something or a way of living and being that is unattainable for us, as if with something distant, be like, that's a blessed person, good luck getting there. Rather, the psalm wants us to understand that this is available for us today. And so he very quickly and clearly goes on to explain how the blessed person lives. Continues on and it says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. So here is where the contrast and wisdom begins. We've been explained what the blessed person is, and then we see that the psalmist is going to explain to us what the blessed person doesn't do, but also does do. See, the first thing we're going to hone in on is what they don't do. And we see it very clearly. The psalmist says they don't walk in step with the wicked. They don't stand in the company of sinners or sit with mockers. Now hear this carefully. It's very easy for us, as we read this passage, to take it really literally in the sense of this idea means as Christians we must completely remove ourselves from the presence and influences of those who do not believe what we believe. But if we dig a little bit further into this verse, this is not solely the argument that the so- psalmist is trying to make. They're actually trying to help us understand uh, the depth of relationship and the types of character that this person doesn't associate with. See, when we understand these words, it becomes a little bit clearer to us. See, the wicked person in this passage is someone who is ignorantly sinful, someone who doesn't really know what they're doing or how they're living and how it's not as God intended. Think of like a small child who comes home from school having learned a word that we don't really want them to learn, right? They come home and maybe they just throw it into a sentence at home and we're shocked to hear that they know this word now. Now, Does this kid know what it means? Almost certainly not. Do they realize what they're doing is wrong? Almost certainly not. It's that kind of idea. This is someone who's just living their life and doesn't quite understand what they're doing or how it is uh, impacting their relationship with Jesus. That is the wicked. Now, we see that actually the sinner is someone in the understanding of this word who is someone who is habitually and increasingly holistically going against God's leading. This is someone who is beginning to intentionally decide that they would like to live in a way that is counter to God's leading and planning. And then we end with the mocker, who is someone who actually goes out of their way to scorn and belittle those who follow God's commandments, and they have contempt for them and who He is. So, as you can see just in this psalm, in these three little uh, descriptors of people, you can see that there is a progressive view of the world that sets itself up against God, and this is is what the psalmist is talking about. This is going that there's someone who just is kind of innocently, unintentionally living a way that is not in line with God's plan, all the way to those who outrightly stand against it and hold those who follow it in contempt. See, this is kind of like what we see in culture when we hear comments along the lines of religion is like the opiate of the masses, or religion is the cause of all wars, or God is a delusion used to control people and we'd all be better off without Him, right? These are the mockers, the scorners, the people who decide that actually they would rather not believe in God, but not just that, they think all, who that, uh, all that do are people who are unwise and ultimately leading a terrible life. See, they are spouting wisdom for people to follow. So these are the characters, in this psalm but then the psalmist also uses descriptive words about the relationship with them he uses these words walk with stand with and sit with now these words are critically important to the level of relationship that he's had with these people if you consider walking through the shops right and the different relationships that you would have with people imagine you see maybe someone that you kind of know like just briefly maybe it's me now you know you've just met me today you see me in the shops you don't necessarily really know me super well you might just wave at me and say hey Ben how's it going I'll be like good how about you you'd be like good we kind of continue on our way we might not necessarily be close friends or best friends but we know each other enough to be courteous and to say hello and that's kind of it we're not we're kind of like walking together right walk through the shops we're kind of done consider standing with someone now Max and I are good friends. Max used to be in in the youth ministry that I lead at McKenzie, and then he came here. No worries. I will give him to you. I'm not bitter about it at all. I don't miss him one little bit. Not at all. I don't cry myself to sleep on a Saturday night realizing he won't be with me at YC on a Sunday morning. I don't. But if I saw Max in the shops, I would stop And I would stand with him and I would talk. We'd probably have a bit of a long conversation about how things are going down here at Logan, what's happening with uh, his girlfriend Rachel and how women named Rachel are the best because my wife is also named Rachel, you know, like we would probably have a conversation about those things together. We would stop and stand because we have a stronger relationship. We have a better friendship, a greater connection. But the people I invite into my home, we often spend time sitting together around the table sitting on the couch, having a conversation. It normally goes for a couple of hours. There's real depth of relationship. Now, there's every chance that when I have those people over, we're sitting there talking politics, we're talking faith, we're talking marriage, we're talking life, we're talking deeply. And our lives are really rubbing off on each other. And sometimes I listen to their wisdom, and it shapes how I'm going to you know, communicate with Rachel, it shapes how I'm going to lead in my, ch- you know, in my ministry position. There's a real shaping influence that happens in those relationships. This is the journey that the psalmist is, again, taking. He's saying the wise person does not necessarily sit with the mockers. They don't sit with them. They're not people who are going to invite them in, do life super deeply, become, you know, a part of their wisdom, and then and, and sit under their teachings. They're actually just going to have a, a little bit of distance from that whole environment. Now, this, again, is clear for us to understand this is not that we remove our souls from the world around us this is understanding a very key principle about the importance of who we let into our lives and the wisdom that they share with us see for a little bit of, uh, a lighter example I remember talking with one of my housemates uh, back when we had our garage sessions who was going through a little bit of a relationship issue you know nothing super major but he was just trying to figure some things out and trying to work it through And he uh, told me, as as we were talking about it, that he'd had a previous conversation with one of the other guys that we were living with uh, who gave him some advice. Now, he told me this advice, and it was terrible. I wish I could remember it so I could tell uh, all of you about it. But it was probably something along the lines of you know, if you love them, let them go. If they come back, they're yours. If they don't, they were never yours to begin with. You know, like kind of like those platitudes that you're like, that doesn't make any sense at all. If you love them, maybe you should fight for them, but that's okay. Uh, but he kind of gave that kind of advice. And I remember being a bit shocked and I said, mate, why did you talk to this guy? And he was like, oh, well, you know, he was there. It was on my mind. I thought, you know, he might have some advice. I said, "You like, I love this guy. He's a great guy and he does have some good wisdom, but mate, he hasn't been in a relationship." since year eight, and I don't even know if you can count year eight relationships, you know, really, like, at all. It was probably two months, and they maybe talked to each other three times, you know, like, I don't know how much wisdom he actually has in this situation. He said, oh, well, you know, like, I just thought I'd hear it. I said, that's cool, and he's a good guy, and he means well. But in our group, in our garage session crew, you have two guys who are engaged. They're at least somewhat successful at what they're doing they're at least about to kind of tick the box of like well done you made it to marriage you know like you've navigated some complex issues to get there why didn't you talk to them he said I don't know I didn't didn't even think about it and so I just was like talking to him about this I said mate I think you need to call a garage session get the boys together get some wisdom in the room and talk to some other guys about what you're going through and so he was like you know what I think you're right And he did, got us in the room, we talked it through, and everything went really well. I mean, the relationship ended later, but it wasn't from what we said in that garage session, right? We guided him in the right course for that moment, it was other wisdom later that uh, helped him make a better decision uh, in the future. But the principle is really simple, you know, we're going to, he's going to this mate of ours who he thinks is going to give him some wisdom, but may not actually necessarily be the best source of it. And the psalmist is trying to say the exact same thing. Who you sit with, who you do life closely with, the people whose wisdom you're going to come under is actually going to be a huge influencing factor in how you navigate life and whether you do get to walk with this sense of rightness and quiet assurance within yourself. And he says that the blessed person does not dwell on the wisdom of the world. But instead, he says in verse 3, that they delight in the law of the Lord. And they meditate on it day and night. So they do not dwell on the wisdom of the world. They do not sit with them and come under their influence and wisdom. But instead, they delight in the wisdom of God's word. See, Charles Spurgeon, reflecting on this verse, says this. The blessed person is not under the law as a curse and condemnation, but they are in it. And they delight in To be in it as their rule of life. They delight, moreover, to meditate in it, to read by day and think upon it by night. See, the Word of God becomes this person's guiding source of wisdom and the rule of life. See, this phrase rule of life literally meant to measure your life against. This would be the guiding source for them. This will be the source that will determine their worldview, their plans, what constitutes wisdom, and the relationships that they build. But the real challenge in this verse is this. Notice the frequency. It is by day and by night. It's meditation. It's deep engagement with the word of God. This is what the wise person does. And see, studies have actually shown the value of this in the life of those who follow Jesus. The center for Bible engagement researched the difference that reading your Bible made. Now, they polled 40,000 different individuals and found this in their study. If you were someone who is in the Bible once a week, now, once a week constitutes like just coming together at church and having me, as the preacher, read the Bible to you. If that's your engagement, that's once a week. Now, what they noticed was people who engage with the Bible once a week, followers of Jesus, it has no real effect or no significant difference in their life. A whole bunch of the statistics in non-Christian lives and Christian lives for people who basically engage with the Bible once a week are basically the same. When they found uh, that people engage with the Bible twice a week, so maybe once at church, once at home, they had the exact same experience. No real effect. Three times a week, they began to see a few little things change. But what was really incredible was what happened when you began to read your Bible four times a week. What they found is this. People who engage deeply with the Bible four times a week feel lonely 31% less than those who don't. Anger issues drop 32%. Bitterness in relationships drop 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant in their relationship with God drops 60%. But here is the kicker. There's some really positive things that happen too. People who engage in the Bible four times or more a week share their faith 200% more. They disciple others 230% more. And they're 401% more likely to memorize Scripture. See, there's something about delighting in God's Word that changes you. And the magic number apparently is four, which I think is significant because it becomes just over half the week. See, the blessed person doesn't dwell on the wisdom of the world, but they delight in the wisdom that is found in God's Word, and it changes them. The challenge for us is to ask ourselves the question, do we delight in the Word of God? Is this the place we turn to as our source of wisdom? Is the Word of God a key voice in our decision-making? More importantly, is it the foundational feature of our worldview? Is it what our worldview is built on? Because the research shows and says that you will notice it in your life. When I first started out in ministry, I um, had to have a conversation with a leader who was having a little bit too much fun on the weekends, if you catch my drift. And uh, some of it was kind of getting onto social media, which meant uh, I very quickly found out about it and had other leaders bring it to my attention. And so I realized I needed to have a conversation with this guy and uh, sit down and just see where things were at and what was going on. And, you know, it's never a fun conversation. I'm sure we've all had those moments where we've had to deal with, like, a staff member or a family member or someone where we just have to sit down and kind of say, hey, this isn't good enough. And it's never fun. It's never fun doing something like that. And I remember praying about it as I was driving uh, to uh, the meeting and just going, God, like, please help me help this go well. Help him hear the heart that's behind it. You know, like, I I don't want him to feel like I'm trying to like kick him out or anything like that. I just want to hear what's going on. And in that uh, time of prayer, I remember God saying, hey, Ben, like, you know, I want you to remember that just as you want things to go well with him, I want him to somehow draw closer to me and all of this too. Like my heart is for him uh, in this. And so I remember going, well, God help guide me, you know, in this whole conversation. Anyway, we're, we're sitting at the cafe and it's, it's awkward, you know, like he's sitting there knowing that I've initiated to catch up. And he's like, I'm almost certain that I'm getting in trouble. So he's you know, just chatting away about things that are going on. And eventually, we talk about it. say, hey, look, we've got to talk about uh, some of the stuff I've seen on social media, what's been going on for you. And he said, yeah, look, um, no, that's not good. And we kind of talked about it. And I remember asking him, well, what can we do to help you? Like, how can we support you and help you navigate this? I know, you know coming out of high school can sometimes be difficult as you're trying to you know, navigate life. How can we help you? And he made this reflection on his own life. He said, look, I love coming to church. Um, prayer is something that I do pretty regularly. And he's like, because I find myself in trouble all the time. And so I'm always asking God to help me out. I said, well, yeah, that makes sense. I've, I've seen it online. Um, and he said, you know, don't mind worship music, all that kind of stuff. He said, but I just struggle to read the Bible. I just haven't done that in months. And I said, that's all right. So do you think that would be helpful? He said, I think that would probably be helpful to do. And I said, well, what can we do to support you? And he said, oh, I don't know, like, I think maybe like just some accountability or some people checking up with me would be great. And uh, he was in my life group at the time, and there was another guy in my life group who I'm Pretty certain, only owned a Bible. You know, like he didn't know that other books existed. I'm pretty sure, like it was just the only thing I ever saw him carrying. And I'm pretty sure sometimes he spoke in Bible verses. Like that was kind of how he addressed you. Like, how is your day? Well, the Lord is good. He has been faithful. You know, you're like, is that H- 1 3? Like, <laughs> is that your answer to my question about how your day's going? But uh, he just lived and breathed the word, like it was ridiculous. I'm pretty sure every single verse in the Bible had been highlighted by him at some point. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to pair you guys up together. And uh, it was incredible what happened. So over the next four to six weeks, there was no real discernible difference, right? Like this guy was coming to life group, and he was kind of just chilling. His general engagement was that he would kind of sit there and not really engage unless he had something funny to say, you know, like he was that kind of guy. And uh, But after about six, six to eight weeks, all of a sudden, I noticed he started to come with his Bible. And he brought his Bible to life group, and he'd sit there, and he would read along with us. He wouldn't really say much, but he was engaging. I was like, that's really interesting. About... A couple of months after that, so maybe three or four months after our conversation, another shift began to happen. He would be coming to Life Group with his Bible, and he would also be engaging in the conversation, but he would be sharing things. He'd be like, man, I was reading through the Bible this week, and I don't know if you've ever read Proverbs, right? But like Proverbs 16 is really cool. And he would like share his reflections of what God had been showing him and revealing to him. And all of this was happening over like a few months, and he just kept getting into it and into it. And you could see like the version Bible app, I could see he was engaging with it, highlighting stuff. I was like, this is really, really cool. Anyway, eventually, uh, about like 12 months later, he moved over to the UK. You know, he wanted to go on a bit of an adventure and live life up over there. So kind of lost a little bit of contact. But about two years ago, uh, he reached out to me, just sent me a message on Facebook. He's like, hey, man, um, I would really love if we could have a call. I just need your help with something. And I was like, oh, boy, what has happened here? If he's reaching out to me in Australia while he's over uh, in the UK. And so uh, we organized a time and had a call, and uh, he... You know, kind of called me, and we chatted, just caught up about life. And then he kind of got to the crux of it. He said, look, um, I've got a question, and I, I need some help. I don't know what to do about it. I said, oh, what's going on? And he said, look, I've been connected in with the church over here in the UK, and I've just been praying and reading my Bible, and I just feel like God is encouraging me to just go and talk to the pastor about volunteering a couple of days a week to be the youth pastor here and try and help get a youth ministry kind of going, right? And I remember being on the end of the phone and being like, Whoa, that's like cool. Like as a youth pastor, right? It's so validating when someone else wants to be a youth pastor because you're like, I did make a good career choice. Other people want to do this too, right? Like that's nice feeling. But it's also really cool to see him and the journey he's been on. To go like when he was 19, he was having a bit of a wild time and he didn't really know where he was at. And we got the word of God into him and kind of like helped focus that. And we saw a slow transformation over a period of time. To see that end goal be him going, you know what, I want to give my time to invest in the next generation because I feel like that's something that God wants me to do. It was such an incredible transformation, and I, I, I think wholeheartedly a testament to his deep engagement in the Word of God and the way that it changed and transformed him. See, these are the things that happen, the stories that occur when we have deep, regular engagement in the Word of God, when we actually choose to delight in the wisdom that is found in his Word. And we recognize that actually this will ultimately, as it says in verse 3, produce for us a fruit in season. That actually in season, he was ready now to step into this youth pastor role. See, Spurgeon again, in reflecting on this verse, says that the blessed person brings forth their fruit in season, which is an important thing for us to understand. He says, it's not unseasonable graces like untimely figs, which are never full-flavored but the one who delights in God's word, being taught by it, bringeth forth patience in the time of suffering, faith in the day of trial, and holy joy in the hour of prosperity. See, fruitfulness is an essential quality of a gracious person, and that fruitfulness should be seasonable. See, it is this fruit that leads to us being able to walk with wisdom through the unpredictable nature of life. See, it's this Fruit that comes from delighting deeply in the Word of God, that produces the patience that we need in suffering, recognizing that God is at work with us. The peace in confusion, remembering that God will make a way. The joy in prosperity, as we remember that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights above. The love for those persecuting us, as we remind ourselves that Jesus died for them too. You know, the faithfulness to stay the course, because we remember that God is faithful to his promises, and so we will be faithful to our word. The kindness to care for those in need around us, because we see that Jesus cares for the down and out. And the self-control to hold our tongues, because James 3 reminds us that the tongue is like a wildfire, and has the potential to both bring life and death to those around us. But all of that comes from us delighting in the word of God. Dane Ortland says in his devotional book on the Psalms that this, uh, this Psalm teaches us that nothing can compare with the blessedness, the fruitfulness, the flourishing, the prospering, the delightfulness of a life saturated with the Word of God. And so my question is, will you dwell on the wisdom of the world, or will you actually delight in the wisdom of the Word? Because as we finish the psalm, the psalmist shows us ultimately the outcome of that decision. What will happen if we choose to dwell on the wisdom of the world or delight in the wisdom of God? See, he says that the person who delights in the wisdom of God is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose life does not wither, uh, whatever they do prospers. But not so the wicked... They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. See, we are reminded that the wisdom of the world is not the way that God watches over. And as you read of the rest of the Psalms, you actually see the frustration that is felt, not just in this Psalm, but in many of them, that at times, while this way seems to be prosperous and fruitful and influential and powerful. And while they seem to be leading a blessed life, we recognize that actually if we walk in the wisdom found in the God, then we know that this is the way that the Lord watches over. See, Psalm 23 shows us that picture even more clearly when in verse 1 to 4 it says this, "'The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing.'" He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Notice here that as he walks with God, he walks both beside still quiet waters and green fields, but also the darkest valley. But what is it? that he holds firm to in both the highs and lows. It's the fact that God is with him, that God watches over him in the good seasons and the hard seasons, that God will provide the fruit that he needs in those moments, whether that be rest or a guiding rod and staff. See, Psalm 1 is not ending with a promise that God will walk over your path and make it easy. He won't plow through any roadblocks that you have. He won't make the valleys less shallow and the mountains less steep to climb. It's not saying that the Christian life is predictable and smooth. Rather, the Psalm is helping us understand that as we go through the various seasons of life, we can live with a sense of peace and quiet assurance. Because as we delight in the law of the Lord, we walk in the way of true wisdom and that actually this morning as we look at the year ahead, which is another year that probably presents a little bit of nervousness, trepidation and uncertainty, that we have at our fingertips the source of wisdom. See, it's an incredible gift and something that we sometimes miss when we read this psalm is actually as the psalmist wrote this psalm, there's every chance that all he had that was the law of the Lord at that time was the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the law, and potentially a couple of Psalms, and maybe, maybe some other wisdom literature that we might have in the Bible now. He's got a handful of what we now have access to in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the thing that blows my mind away the most is that not only do we have this whole book, the Bible, but we get the ability to spend time reading about Jesus wisdom god embodied as human flesh not just as principles to learn but as someone to read and imitate see he was the truly blessed person he walked in true wisdom in his relationship with his heavenly father his relationship with others himself and his circumstances he walked with true wisdom and we have the ability to read that and to know that and to imitate That today. See, what we have today is an incredible gift. A gift that this psalmist, I think, would be completely mind-blown over the fact that we have access to this much wisdom in the Word of God. If he was delighting in just the first five books and a handful of other sources, imagine the joy he would find in this. See, the encouragement in this psalm to each of us is to not dwell in the wisdom of the world, but to delight in the wisdom found in God's Word. This is what is going to give us the confidence, peace, and rightness in our lives, the quiet assurance as we navigate the situation and circumstances that we face. And as we touched on earlier, it's the reading and engaging in it regularly that ultimately will change and transform us. And so my question is, what does that look like for you this year? How are you going to make it a higher priority, a greater source of engagement? Now, I know for many of you, you might have already got some New Year's resolutions for it. Maybe you're doing the whole, I want to read the Bible in a year, or maybe you're like, I want to read the Bible every day. You know, I uh, preached this message a couple of weeks ago at the 6 p.m. service. I says, had someone come up after and be like, hey, I wanted to read the Bible every single day this year, and I haven't even done it once yet. You know, like, we're off to a good start, right? But I said, mate, that's okay. We just got to get creative with it. What does that look like for you today? What does it look like? Maybe you've been trying the morning Bible reading discipline and it just never happens because you've got kids and you've got family, and you've got work. Maybe you're not a morning person. Do it at night. Give it a try. You might never have tried it before, but do it before you go to bed. Maybe it's actually not trying to read it at the moment, but it's just listening to it. You know, can you listen to it in the car, on the train, or at the gym? Maybe you can watch YouTube videos on it from places like the Bible Project. Or maybe you need a journal to help you write reflections. And maybe you don't even need to write, you need to draw. Maybe you can get a drawing journal. Maybe you just want to try and memorize a verse at the start of the week and reflect on it each morning. Something like that is deep and regular engagement with the Bible. Maybe you need to get on the YouVersion Bible app, read a plan on that. And I don't know if you know this, but you can actually add people as friends on the app and you can do Bible reading plans together. Last year, I wanted to read the Bible in a year. I'd never done it before. I know I'm a pastor and I hadn't read the whole Bible in a year. I'm sorry. I'll be better. But I did it with my friends and there was times where I was like 7 to 15 days behind and one of them would message me and be like, hey Ben, we noticed you're a little bit behind I want to play catch up. And the next day I'd be like, alright, well I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to listen to the Bible while I exercise. And I'd get through a couple of days, share my reflections and we'd engage together and I ultimately Got there because they kept me accountable. Maybe that's what you need to do. Talk to your life group. Maybe there's some other people who want to do the same. Maybe you just got some friends in the crowd or even people who go to other churches that you just like, maybe I could do that with them. Send them a text. Give them a call. I'm sure that they would love to support you as you try and engage more deeply with God's Word. See, there's heaps of ways to do it. And there's no real specific way that matters. It's just getting in it regularly. See, the only certainty in life is that we aren't going to be able to pick how it will play out. You know, all of your plans for this year, some of them will come to fruition, some of them won't. Some of the best things that will happen this year, you have no idea are coming. Some of the hardest things to happen, you won't even see uh, coming and they'll just hit you by happenstance. But all of us will be able to walk and navigate it as well as possible with a quiet assurance if we continue to grow in the knowledge of the one who actually ultimately holds it all in his hands to learn his wisdom and to walk in the way that he watches for us today. So today, I want to encourage you to take that simple step. I want you to think, what is the action you're going to take to regularly and deeply engage in God's Word this year? Is it going to be the journal? Is it going to do a Bible reading plan? Is it going to be listening to it on the way to work, reading it before you go to bed at night? Whatever it is, do it and do it regularly. It will change and transform your life as you learn and delight in the wisdom of the Word of God.